<laughs> Thank you, Darren. Um, I don't even know where to start. I don't really have any notes. Um, today is such a phenomenal day. I don't know how you follow that, um, that we just heard, the last two, uh, which are amazing. But it is, it is truly, in all seriousness, it is uh, what I believe most of us have prayed and waited for for so many years, which is the doing rather than just the talking. The last two speakers are doing. We're not just theoretically discussing what we should do or where we should be. Um, we're, we're, we're doing. And last night, uh, I hope you appreciate this. I don't say that because he's sitting here. Uh, you don't get a Dr. Cottle, but about every 50 to 100 years. That's true. You don't get that. That's not, that's not common. His, his teaching, uh, at 88 years of age, we can't even keep up with him. It takes three or four of us to, to try to keep up with him. And he's giving revelation uh, throughout his years and journeys that has just kept the body moving. But last night, I hope you recognize this, and I hope I'm not out of order, but last night was not revelation. Last night was we got to preach a different gospel than we've been preaching. Because we hadn't been preaching <laughs> the stuff we... And I'm not saying we're all off, don't love Jesus, but you look at that and I realize I, I'm glad all my stuff is on cassette tapes because eventually those will wear out. And if I can get my hands on them, I'm going to burn every one of them before they get out. I hope they're gone. But we're thankful for that because we need that to know how to, how to keep moving forward and where to go. And then we hear from these people in these arenas that we've been talking about mountains for years, and now we're seeing them in that mountain and making those influence. Amen. Brother, I, I, to both of you, Tammy, I, I just commend you. You have made me so full. Uh, I'm so glad you're here, and I look forward to connecting uh, to, to both of you because that's what we need. And we've been, we've been in a place for, for so many years that we've been waiting to get traction on this that now that we, we've got it, we're starting to see things that, that we didn't think possible, really. And, and we're surprised sometimes by it, that, wow, God's really doing it. My area, it, like yours, is not one that I would have ever chose, uh, which was finance. I'm not a, I'm not a, I had a, I had a lady a couple weeks ago say, wow, I bet you God must have called, called you because you have a brilliant mind for finance. And I don't argue with people. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Praise God. That's it right there. You just keep thinking it. Tell everybody you know that. Just tell them, yeah, I got a brilliant mind for finance. Uh, I don't. I'm not a math guy. <laughs> God puts us in these areas, as, as, as you pointed out, as you said last night, Pops, because he has need of us there. That's all I know. But I started this journey in finance almost 20 years ago while I was pastoring out of a passion of seeing people suffer and knowing that we won't get there and realizing that so much of what we were teaching is wrong. Now, so much of my focus has become behavioral because if we don't understand the behavioral behind investing and change and shift from that, then it doesn't matter how much money we make. And we thought, well, if we just make a lot of money, that's, that's one of the things that, that I debunk. There's two things that I really spend a lot of time to get to uh, when you're talking about in churches because we have to change the way that we've been preaching this. One of them is that tithe doesn't build wealth. We've been propagating that because we've had the wrong message in the church. 
And we tell people tithe, tithe builds wealth. And the reason we do that as pastors is because we need the tithe to come in and we'll bless people. They'll increase and they'll give it back. And we, and we think that's a good system because we'll help God and we'll build. But that hasn't worked for us. Now, I, I, it always loses oxygen when you say that. Oxygen goes out of the room. Wait, what's he teaching you? No, you should tithe. Tithe is biblical. It's important. Giving is important. It's fundamental. But tithing is not a financial issue. It's a spiritual one. It means you, your trust with God it has nothing to do with finance. We made it a finance issue in the church because we wanted money to come in so that we could do good things. Not, not out of ugly heart. But so that we could do good things. I did that as a pastor. Come on, bring money and get the tithe increase and we'll do more good. And God said, that's not my pattern. You're making tithe a financial issue when it's a spiritual issue. It's about trust. So it doesn't have anything to do with, with the money. It has more to do with trust. And tithe doesn't build wealth. And that's what we've told people. So what we, what we did is we made those lazy Christians that, that, that Ammon was talking about because we said, listen, just bring your money in and God will do the rest. You sit on the couch and eat bonbons. Watch Gilligan Island reruns and God will take care of all your money. He'll increase it and he'll grow it for you. Never learned anything about stewardship. And stewardship by biblical delineation. Tell me if I'm off, Pops. You're, 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 this is you. Delineation of, of biblical stewardship is the careful responsible management and increase and increase of something that is entrusted to one's care. Not just, not just caring for it and managing it responsibly, but increasing it. So stewardship for the body is about caring for what God gave us, what he's entrusted, responsibly managing it and increasing it. And if increase is not a part of who we are, if we don't see that, then we're not good stewards. And tithe is not going to get us there. We should tithe. Tithe puts you in covenant with God. Means you trust God. Means you believe he's the CEO of the universe, and he is. And that he's working through you. But tithe does not do what we're required to do. The other thing that we have, that have had to deal with as we deal with changing our thinking about money is that wealth does not, or let me say it this way, wealth doesn't break poverty. That mentality has come to us because we keep looking for a windfall. We keep looking for God to give us some big sum of money. That is more prevalent in the church than I can even tell you. People are waiting for, for some aunt or uncle or rich cousin they didn't know they have. They're waiting for some lawsuit they didn't know exists. And once God gives me a whole bunch of money, then I'm going to give a bunch to the church. A, we'll never see that money in the church. And B, it, wealth doesn't break poverty. Now let me explain this because people get nervous. Poverty, poverty is not the state of not having something. Poverty is the fear of letting go. So it's not what you don't possess. That's not what poverty is. Poverty is not the state of not having something. It's the fear of letting go. It's a principle violation against God's word. So getting a whole bunch of money does not fix our problem. Now just let me kind of build just a little something here because then we really want to unveil. We, this is a lab today. This is going to get, this is going to get messy. Poverty is, is, is a, a mindset of a fear of letting go. 
And we think if we could get enough wealth, we would break that and we'd be good to go. We know that doesn't work because 70% of the people who win the lottery are broke within five years. And yes, most of the time worse off than when they first begun because they didn't learn how to manage it. And God loves you too much to give you something that you can't manage. It'll destroy you. And so wealth does not break poverty. Getting a bunch of wealth, and what we've done then is said, okay, if you tithe, if you tithe, then God will take care of everything else. So all you got to do is tithe, and God will, God, will, God will give you businesses and give you all this stuff. We've made all these promises that are not biblical. As, as we learned last night, we keep, come on, God, bless me now. I gave you my 10%. Now you just heap it on me. And that was never the purpose of it. It's a trust. It's a foundational thing. And, and I don't want to get cute with sayings, but I do want you to get this and understand this. Wealth does not come to you. Wealth comes out of you. That's what God promised you in the Bible. I've given you the power to create, to, 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 to build Wealth. So wealth does not come to you. Wealth comes out of you. So our mindset should not be we're looking to get so. So here, listen, because this all goes together. And I see it in my own life. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to me. <laughs> I did this for years. So then our mindset becomes I'm tithed. I'm tithing to God. Therefore, God owes me. And the wealth of the wicked is what? stored up it's laid up so one day i'm going to wake up and check my bank account and all their money's going to be in here and they're going to go to hell that's a solid theology right there isn't it so we keep wondering how's the wealth coming to us how how are we going to get the wicked people's wealth transfers the word transfer it transfers through an understanding that wealth does not come to me, it comes out of me. Every single account you see in the Bible of a patriarch or somebody successful, their wealth came out of them. And nobody gave them anything until they started seeing the principles of God work in their life. And so I'm not waiting for God to do anything. Tithe is proof that I trust him. Me giving back is proof that I realize God first gave to me. And he doesn't owe me anything. He's given me everything. Now, I can tell you because I, I deal with some, some very affluent, super affluent people. Most of them don't think like Christians think, even if they're Christians themselves. And some of them may not be. They don't think I'm going to give because I'm blessed. They think I've got to give because I'm so blessed. That's their mindset. I've, I've got to give back. Even if they don't know God. There's something intrinsically in them that God put in every one of us, which is that wealth comes out of my womb that they've got to give back. And so their mindset is I've got to find a way to, 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 to give because I, I, I know that that's how wealth flows. Now what this, what this and this is, this is I'm going to stop and I'm going to do this, this last little thing because I want you to know where we came from. And then I'm going to call Darren up. I'm going to tell you where we, where, just, just like we, we've heard, We've been 15 years at this. We can be excited to tell you that we've got something that we've waited 15 years to put our feet to the ground. Because if, if we can't get it to work, it, 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 if we can't find the application, it's, it's, it's no good. It's no good. It's just another theory. We get another quick slogan, another quick thing, and it, 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 we, we, it's not going to work. 
So what these two things have done as a result of us kind of buying into that and training that theology, which has kept everything in the church, by the way. That's all designed to, for, the, for the church. If you get wealth, you got to bring it back into the storehouse. And everybody knows the storehouse is the church and only the church. I used to teach my people, don't give to outside ministries, give to the church right here. This is where you're being fed. I used to teach that. That's why we got to get those tapes. You need to help me. We got to get them destroyed. A lot of damaging stuff out there. And it's not, as, as Dr. Collins said last night, this isn't an indictment on everybody. It's a matter of us going, we got to change the way we're doing this. It's, we, we know it's not working. We don't need to have that conversation. But what, what is, what works? And here's what this has created in us. And this is why I say we have to deal behaviorally. Now, I'm, I, I, I do a lot of analytical finance, a lot of, a lot of detailed stuff in the market and real estate and things. And we'll talk about some of that. And I love that. But it does no good for me to teach you deep, deep financial issues if, if I can't shift your thinking. Any more than me handing you $5 million is going to help you if you don't have some principles in line. So what has happened and where this has really seeped in and hurt us in the church, particularly as we're talking about finance and risk and stewardship and being good stewards of what God gave us. Because the, the difference between, the difference between, let me say this first, the difference between a good steward, a godly steward, a biblical steward, and an unjust steward is simply this. An unjust steward, when you give them something, let's say... Let's say you give them $50,000. An unjust steward is going to go, what can I buy? What can I do? What can I get with this? I can get toys. I can pay off debt. I can do all this stuff. I can, watch, 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 watch. This one's going to sting a little. I can even give it away to the church. Yes, I have that over here in the unjust steward. Let me show you why. Because it's gone. It's done. A just biblical steward says, if you give me $50,000, that's the least it will ever be in my hands. Because I'm a biblical steward. So whatever you give me, a dollar, a dime, 50000 a million, or $10 million, whatever you give me, it's his. I'm just a steward, but that is the least it will ever be under my care. I will grow it and increase it. And yes, I will give off of it. But I'll give far more than a $50,000 one-time dollar gift. I'll, give, I'll grow that and mature that so that we can be. That's where we haven't been wise. And a just steward says, whatever you give me, Lord, I will make sure that's the least it is. Now, am I in the Bible? Is there any stories about that? <laughs> what, what that is, what we call that in finance, in behavioral science, is called loss aversion. This is where I spend a lot of my time when I go in churches and finance before I ever start teaching where to invest or what to invest in or cryptocurrency or all of the things that we're interested. Before we can get to that, we've got to, we've got to change our behavior, our mindset. And loss aversion is simply this. Loss aversion says I'm more, concern, more concerned about avoiding loss than I am acquiring gains. I'm more concerned about avoiding loss than acquiring gains. So if somebody comes to me as an investor and they say, I have a million, five million, ten million dollars, 
What are your goals? I'm more concerned about you not losing anything than I am gaining. I don't, I don't know that I can help you because loss is built in. Anybody in this room through your journey in life could raise your hand and say, I've never had any loss at any time in my life. Any liars. I mean, any people. <laughs> of course, because it's built in. Obviously, the name of the game in life and investing is to gain more than you lose, but that's part of the equation. And loss aversion has become, this is where it's really scary, loss aversion has become a theology of the church. We're more concerned about avoiding loss than we are acquiring gains. Look at our boards that are over our pastors. Look at our leaders in the church. You know how many churches I go into that have millions of dollars sitting in a bank account? I go, what do you, what, why is all that money sitting in there? We, we don't want to lose any of it. It's the Lord's money. What? I'm telling you that I run into this all the time. Millions of dollars sitting in the bank. No debt. Or very minimal debt. Like, why, why, why is that like money? Well, we don't, we, we don't want to lose the Lord's money. We want to be a good steward. A good steward? So then I, I just go, well, I don't know. Maybe you guys don't have the same Bible I do. Here's what mine says over here in Matthew 25, 14. He said there's three stewards. One of them had five, one of them had two, and one of them had one. The five doubled, he got praised. The two doubled, he got praised. The one, he put it in the bank and said, we don't want to lose it. It's the Lord's. We got to protect what's God's. That's not steward. He said, you're a wicked, lazy servant. That's harsh. Investing is not an, I'm not talking about in, in the market. Investing is not an option. It's a mandate. Stewardship requires that we invest our life. What, what area of your life, get outside of finance, get outside of the, 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 the church for a minute. What area of your life can you go, I'm not going to invest anything, I'm just going to hold on to it. How's that working in your marriage? That's called D-I-V-O-R-C-E. That's where you're headed. Destruction. You, there's nothing in your life that you can just hold on to and try to keep and maintain and think that it's going to grow. I don't even know what you call that. That's, that's, <laughs> silliness is the nicest word we can come up with. That is not who God called us to be. So we understand then loss aversion is where you just kind of sit back and go, well, I, I, the excuse becomes, well, I, I don't want to lose anything. Listen to this. Excuse. Excuse is the refuge of a moral coward. Excuse is a refuge of the moral coward. God did not call us to a place to offer excuses. Excuse is the refuge of a moral coward. We don't have that option. We're not afforded that. We must push forward. In everything we do. And whatever comes to you. Whatever comes to you. You are responsible to increase. Not to maintain. Not to hold on. And then hand back to the Lord. Imagine if you stood before God. This is how we know this has seeped into our theology by the way. And this is the happy part of the message in case you were wondering. Y'all happy? It's the easy part. This is how we know we've seeped into this, this, this really concept of, if you will, loss aversion. As you alluded to last night. Our theology has become, 
Well, it's a bad world out there. And it's, I mean, it's tough. We just got to stay in here and just hang on, y'all. Just stay saved. Hope we make it into heaven. So that when we get to heaven, God can go wherever heaven is. Whatever that looks like. And I don't know if God will be there to greet us, but I'm just, it's, you know, it's my story and I have the mic, so. <laughs> if, if, if Pops gets up to correct me, I'm just going to take off running and keep talking, you know, till they get me. But imagine if we get to heaven and we make it in. And some of us may be more surprised than others. We think, I, I made it in. I'm in. And Jesus looks behind and he goes, what? who's following you? Did you get anybody? No, Lord, it was tough out there. But I held on to this one talent you gave me right here. Here, here I am, Lord. I, I stay saved. And, oh, it was tough. I know what a shrewd manager you are. That world out there is wicked and bad. And, whoo, I kept my salvation. And I'm just grateful, Lord. Thank you. I don't know that he's going to be all that happy about that. I think we're supposed to have people following us, aren't we? Aren't we supposed to be affected? But as long as we build ourselves in behind stained glass and steeples, and think that's the weary, bad world out there. And we got to protect what God gave us and be good managers of it by hiding it and keeping it from the world and separate ourselves from them. We will never, ever advance the kingdom. So we do more than money. Money is very important. Money moves things. As the Bible says, it answers all things. People say, well, what does that verse mean? It's pretty simple. It answers everything on the earth pretty much. It answers most of the challenging problems. That's the purpose of it. And we're losing, we're losing our doctrine. Store up for treasures in heaven. That word heaven, you can replace with spiritual things. You, be, you, you invest in spiritual things. But we're not waiting to get to heaven. We have to invest on the earth. The moment that we stop doing that, we move into the maintenance mentality of trying to keep and protect what God gave us. And I don't know, I don't know where you walk with God, but I'm just going to tell you my journey, God's not safe. He's predictable. He is very predictable. But I don't, I don't have a theology that says he's safe because if he calls you out of a perfectly good boat into a storm, I don't think that's safe. So our measure should not be is it safe. We're safe. Of course we're safe. He's got us ultimately protected. But that's not our comfort and safety is not our, our, our measure. We've got to get into. Now, that being said, let me, let me jump into some practical stuff here. So we have said for, for, for many years, I don't know why God called me in finance. I don't want, know why he put me uh, under one of the most successful people in the world and allowed me to see and manage billions and do that, other than I knew that I was bringing that back to the church. I knew that, I knew that purpose. What you don't know about when we met Darren is that when I sat across from him, God began to speak to my heart and said, this is a kingdom man. This is a kingdom key sitting in front of you. He doesn't know that. I've never told him that until right now. But I knew the moment that we sat down 15 years ago that he was a kingdom key. And this, 100%. And I knew in my heart that I had, to, I had to do everything I could to help that key. I knew that. I knew that. Because I knew he was key for what we were doing. Didn't understand all of it. I just knew that. Because that's how God works. 
And at different times, his heart was ministry. He said, no, no, you preach all you want to, but you've got to stay over here because your gift set over here is amazing. And we begin to walk a journey. And I was 15 years ago sitting down like I'm doing now in the churches and talking with people. And the challenge was I, I, I couldn't really help them. I couldn't really direct them anywhere. We couldn't really invest in anything. We couldn't do anything. So we were going through these challenges and, you know, how do we make this practical? How do we get things where people can invest? There's got to be a way. God's got to show us. And probably, I don't know, 12 or 15 years ago, we sat down and I said, Darren, you've got to find a way. You're in real estate. You've got to find a way that we can, we can invest and get smaller investors because we've got the transfers coming. Trillions of dollars, trillions of dollars are transitioning. I'm, I'm, I'm going to explain that. Well, we've been saying that for years. I'm, I'm going to explain that. I was talking to a professor just recently in finance. Uh, we were talking about the, the transition. Three trillion dollars, they've identified, three trillion dollars in the next three to five years will transition to women. To women. Who have notoriously been marginalized in finance. And they don't want to talk to their previous advisor because he marginized them. Three to five trillion dollars. Trillions of dollars are transitioning in the market. That means that people that have had wealth, that money is moving. And what we, would have, what we normally would have done is we would have preached a sermon and said, well, see, God's transferring the wealth. Keep checking your bank account every day. It's going to be in there one day. But we know that we, we, we have to play wise. We have to be smart. We have to be educated. We have to be really good at what we do. Just like Eamon. It may not be where you start. It may not be your area. But you get into it. Just like Tammy. You get into these areas. And God begins to give you the wisdom. And all he, all he ever really needed was somebody to say yes. I, I have, I've, honestly, I have figured in my life that there must have been at least 10 people before me that said no. That's how I got picked. They're like, no, nah, I don't want to do it. And here we are. And as this money transitions, we've got to find ways. Cryptocurrency will play a part. I know that's always a big question. What about cryptocurrencies? There's a lot we don't know about it. There's a lot of Ponzi schemes in cryptocurrency. It's a real thing, yes. It, but there's so many unknown variables. One of the big ones is, is the government has to get involved. And we know how good they are at managing things, right? They're really good fiscal managers. So they've got to regulate it and do all that. But crypto, cryptocurrency will become a currency and probably, if I had to guess or surmise, will become the currency of, of, of the world because of its security. I'm not talking about an investment side of it. And it will give us some opportunities. We don't know all of them, but it will give us some opportunities if we're ready. But the wrong time to learn how to swim is when you're drowning. That's not a good time to decide to take swimming lessons. And the wrong time to start investing is when, when all these things are going wrong, we want you to invest. We're passionate about it because th that's the spiritual side. The other side of it is compound interest. It's the eighth wonder of the world, Albert Einstein. Actually, he's been attributed to it, and I think um, one of our forefathers was attributed with saying that as well. It's the eighth wonder of the world. And you have to have compound interest working for you. There's no way you can survive. There's no way financially that you can survive without compound interest. What's more valuable, a dollar today or a dollar next year? Yeah. 
a dollar today. Today it'll buy this, this bottle of water. Next year it'll take you a dollar and ten cents, correct? It's called purchasing power. You're losing it. So when you say, I, I, have, I tell this story, I had a client that she was a very, very successful surgeon. She retired, had several millions of dollars uh, spread throughout different accounts and things, but she had about a million five, I think, in her checking account. And I said, you, you can't have that kind of cash. Had 18 years of education. The most educated person I'd ever met. 18 years of formal education. Just unbelievably sharp, bright, one of the first plastic surgeons in California and Florida, which is where you go for plastic surgery. Million five sitting in cash. And she said to me, Don, I, I, can't, I, I just can't afford to lose money. I said, you're losing it at that time, three and a half, four percent. Now you'd be losing it about eight or nine, or we don't know where that's going to stop inflation. So you're losing that money by letting, in, in other words, 10 years from now, that million and a half will be worth about 700,000. We've got to invest. We've got to have compound interest. We've got to have something working. And fear is not an excuse. The lack of knowledge. I'm going to take your list, by the way, and use it and steal it from my own, because that's what preachers do. I'm going to give you credit, credit twice, and then after that, it's mine. <laughs> and I just did once, so actually, I only need one more time. It's mine. Actually, I'm going to steal a lot from both of you, but, you know, I'm going to give you credit a couple of times. Um, these, are the, these are the things we've got to get to. So as a result of 15 years and sitting down with the body of Christ and different people, we have worked and worked and worked to get to a fund, to a real estate fund that people can invest in. Now, the last thing that we need, there's plenty of Christian people out there that do investing. That's not what this is. That's not what we design. That's not what this is about. It's not the only place that we want people to invest. But in real estate, the hard thing to do is to get it down to a bite-sized chewable. Normally, our minimums have been $250,000 if we're doing something because with real estate, if somebody hands you a dollar, what are you going to do with it? So you've got to have a, a, a certain sum of money. So it takes a lot of software and planning to be able to do that. But I'm, I'm, I'm here today to tell you <laughs> that Crest Fund that we have been working on 15 years is here. Now, this is not a ploy for you to invest in Crest Fund. We've got millions of dollars already coming into it, I promise you. We, we, we want you to, but I, I'm going to give you a disclaimer before I bring Darren up, and I want you to come up and kind of explain how this works. This is, this is not a ploy to get people to invest in a fund so that we can get rich. This is about the transfer of the kingdom. It's about the ability to move things. It's about having the capacity to impact. Now, we're going to show you how that works. If we were just going to, if, if, and, and I hope you hear me, because you don't have any choice. I can't, I can't stand here to you today and say, well, I, had, I left a three-quarter million dollar job, uh, which I could be working and just had an offer on the table. And, and I do, I do. I could make a million dollars a year. I mean, finance is the way to go. Absolutely. Darren could make ridiculous money. But I can't stand here and tell you that in arrogance because I don't have that option because God called me. So I can't in arrogance go, well, you ought to be. No, this is my assignment. I can't do anything else. In fact, I told him, you don't want me on. You don't want me working at your shop. You familiar with Jonah? You don't want me on this ship. I got to go to Target. The last thing you want is me on this ship. That, true story. He said, yeah, OK, OK, never mind, go. The reason I'm telling you that this is not about 
how much money we can make. It, this is about we've got to be able to transition things in the kingdom. And here's part of what you'll see today. I go all the time. Pastors call me all the time because, you know, when you get known as the money man or the politic guy, you get whatever you get known for is what people call you for. And that's usually broad. Hey, we need this to do this. Hey, we need this to do this. Wouldn't it be amazing? Because, you know, the most powerful entity on the planet, right, is the church. People talk about the real estate, the McDonald's. McDonald's doesn't hold a candle to the real estate that we own in the church. Nobody has the money and resources the church has. Nobody. Collectively. The problem is we are so split. No government on the planet has the resources that the church has. The challenge is we can't come together on it. And we made the mistake, I made the mistake, we all made the mistake of trying to do it theologically. That's not going to happen. Well, you got to believe like I do. You got to talk in tongues or not talk in tongues, or you got to prophesy, or you got to not prophesy, or you got to do this, you got to meet on Saturday or Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or Thursday or Friday. That's never been God's purpose. But you know what we can do? We can collectively bring our money together and go, hey, Tammy, here you go. Here's a few million dollars. Let's get the right candidate in place. Hey, Eamon, how many, how many, how many uh, uh, candidates we got on deck? Here's $10 million. Get them ramped up. Let's get them into office. Is this too much for y'all? Do y'all mean dial back down? Just give you a happy message? Y'all look a little scared. I know we start talking about money, but I'm the money guy. I get to talk about money. That's why I don't call myself a, a pastor anymore. Pastors can't talk about money because they're money hungry, greedy. You know, all they want is your money. That's it. Yeah, I mean, that's just terrible. I want you to understand the purpose of this. We've been, we've been literally trying to get here for 15 years. And then when you hear people like today, that's how I know this is coming together. Because we've got to have the resources to be able to do these things. And you know what else I've found, by the way? People with multi-multi-million Christians, let me rephrase it. Christians with, with, with multi-millions of dollars, if they do not have a purpose, they'll start writing checks to save the snails. I, you don't understand. I talk to people all the time. I, I, know, I know most of us don't have this problem. But you run into people and they've got millions of dollars. And they have something in them that goes, I need to give to something. Let's, let's save the, the plants in some faraway land. And somehow that'll make the earth a better place. Because the church has not been able to present them with a proper purpose bigger than the glass Stained steeples that we live in. So our, 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 our thing has been, hey, will you give us some money so we can get a new steeple? And they're like, no, we're good. Hey, will you give us some money so we can get some new carpet? All those are great things. I'm not demeaning the church. I'm a local church guy. I'm a pastor. I love it. I, I'm for it. But I'm just trying to take us outside of that so we have a bigger picture. And imagine, if you would, if we could say, listen... We, 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 we need millions of dollars because we've got a group of on, young entrepreneurs with ideas that have a heart for God, and we want to write them a check. We've got some candidates that we want to back that we know they're going to get in office, and they're not going to belly up underneath leveraging money somewhere and get, do the wrong thing, and we're going to back them. Then we don't have to sit around and complain about the Ten Commandments that none of us know getting taken off the wall. We can make a difference. That's what this is about. And I know I'm, I'm super passionate about it. It's been 15 years bottled up. So y'all the first, you know, y'all the first. <laughs>
So you just wait till I hand the microphone over here. So, and, and we're beyond excited about this because it's, 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 it's a reality. It's here. Crest Fund is here. Thank you.